All right, so how's everybody's new year going? People feeling good? People feeling great? I have to say, this is one of my favorite times of year. Like, I love, not the whole of January, but like that first week of January. Because it's just, so if I was a church father back in the day when they were deciding, like, what day Christmas would be on, I would have put it in that first week of January. Because I think the first week of January, right, it captures like that hope and that excitement and that expectation way more than the end of December. Because by the end of December, it's pretty much a wrap, right? <laughs> like, whatever you did not do is, is not done. <laughs> whatever is going to happen is going to happen. It has happened. And if it ain't happened, it's not going to happen. <laughs> not in that year anyway. But like January 1st, we are new people. <laughs> we are people who exercise. We are people who pray all the time, who read our scripture every day. We are those people, right? I have um, a friend in my, gra- <laughs> in my graduate program, and every, every year around this time when we go back to school, she announces that she is again a vegetarian. She stays a vegetarian for a good three weeks. (laughs) But on January 1st, 2nd, 3rd, she is a vegetarian. (laughs) This is a time of hope. It's a time of expectation. But somehow something happens, right? And you you have to catch the moment. Because for some, how many people have already slipped on the resolutions? Anybody? You can tell. I have. I'm not going to lie. It's like, what, the 8th? And I've failed already, but that's okay. Something happens past that first week where we sort of lose the steam, the hope that we have, the expectation that we have, the excitement that we had, the new people that we became when the ball dropped. Something happens, and it's gone. (laughs) The resolution that we had to, you know, eat healthier, to stay more in touch with the people who we love, whatever it was, fill in the blank. In that first week, maybe that second week, we are feeling like, yes, we can do it. But somehow, somewhere along the line, it dissipates. So why? Why does that happen? How come we can't be the people on December 31st that we are on January 1st? How come we can't have the same kind of hopeful expectation? How come we can't be those bold folk who are making big plans of the things that we are going to do by February? (laughs) What happens? Well, uh, this morning, we are going to be talking about the Holy Spirit. And if you are thinking to yourself, what on earth does the Holy Spirit have to do with the things you just talked about? This sermon is for you. How many of you think about the Holy Spirit on a regular basis? A few hands. How many folk regularly talk to the Holy Spirit directly? A few more hands. Mm -hmm. That's about right. How many people think that my questions sound crazy? (laughs) I think that we are really good about calling on the name of Jesus, right? We're good about talking to the Father. We're good about being mindful of God. And by God, I mean Jesus and the Father. (laughs) But that third person of the Trinity, poor Holy Spirit, (laughs) we do so well when it comes to thinking about acknowledging, let alone talking to, the Holy Spirit. If we took Jesus at his word, 
If we really believed what he said the Holy Spirit was, I think that would be different. So let's go ahead and get right into the word. If you have your Bibles with you, uh, turn to Mark chapter 1, and we're going to read verses uh, 4 through 8. And what happens in the, the first few verses of this chapter is basically Mark is quoting from some Old Testament passages, primarily from Isaiah 40, where, um, and basically he's trying to establish that John the Baptist is the person that Old Testament scripture talked about, the one who's going to prepare the way for the Messiah. And so beginning with the fourth verse, it reads, and so John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him. Confessing their sins, they were baptized by him in the Jordan River. John wore clothing made of camel's hair with a leather belt bound around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. And this was his message. After me comes the one more powerful than I, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. This is the word of God. God. Amen. I think often when we read this passage, we see it as being primarily about Jesus. The message is that Jesus the Messiah is coming and he is greater than the one preparing the way. And this is certainly correct, right? That's obviously one of the things that Mark wants to communicate. John is in the wilderness. He's calling out to people, repent and be baptized. He is preparing the way for the Messiah, one greater than himself. But in this passage, we're not only learning something about Jesus Christ, we're ultimately learning something about the Holy Spirit. In fact, I would say that this passage is at least as much about the Holy Spirit as it is about this coming Jesus. So the first thing I want you to take note of is something that we often overlook because it's so obvious. (laughs) John is called John the Baptist. Now, I'm not going to lie to you. When I was a a new Christian, and the first time I heard John the Baptist, I thought, oh, he was a Baptist, like Baptist denomination. (laughs) That's sort of how I took that. And And even though I know that's not true, when I hear John the Baptist, that's still the first thing that comes to my mind. But he was called John the Baptizer, right? John the Baptist, he baptized folk. So, This is what we often miss. We sometimes think that baptism is a Christian thing, a uniquely Christian thing. We shouldn't think that, right? Because if you think about what's happening here, John the Baptist, this has happened well before Christianity is a thing, is baptizing people. And Jesus, who was a Jewish man, gets baptized. So it should be very obvious to us that baptism was something that, you know, other folk outside of Christians practice, but we miss it sometimes. And it's important because what John is talking about is this baptism. We ought to catch that. That's significant to the story, and it's something that we overlook. The audience that John was speaking to, what he was doing would not have been strange. It was common, people getting baptized. That made perfect sense to them. What would have been strange was the fact that he was calling all people to get baptized. 
See, the way baptism was practiced or believed to be necessary by Jewish people was it was for Gentiles who were thinking of converting to Judaism and for people who had been defiled. Baptism, much as it is for us, was a symbol of being cleansed. You go into the water and you come out clean. You go in unclean, you come out clean. Well, Jews weren't unclean. Gentiles were unclean. Folk who maybe had been healed of skin diseases were unclean. But the average, everyday Jewish person would not have seen him or herself as needing baptism. But John is calling to everyone, repent and be baptized. No one was going to escape this judgment. That's the message here. What is coming is for all (laughs) y'all. That's the message. So hold on to that as we look at what he says about Jesus. After me comes one, one more powerful than I, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Now, this is another moment in Scripture that ought to make you pause. It's, we hear it so much that we don't think about stuff. John the Baptist says, one more powerful than I is coming. Mark tells us that John is in the desert wearing animal fur, eating locusts. And he's saying, one more powerful than I will be coming. And just in case you got a little bit twisted, this is not a cultural thing. It wasn't common for Jewish people to go out into the desert, put on animal fur, and eat locusts. He would have looked a little bit crazy. This is not a man who sounds powerful. So when he says, one more powerful than I... That should have about as much weight as if a homeless man that you pass on the street said, hey, you pass me, but soon one more powerful than I will come. How many of y'all would would be like, oh, shoot, I need to check myself? No, right? Because you're thinking it doesn't take much to be more powerful than you, John. Mark wants us to pause there. The way that this is presented, Mark is saying to us, hey, when John said one more powerful than I is coming, that meant something. We are supposed to believe that John was powerful. And I know that we do because how many folk ever thought about the fact that he was wearing animal fur and eating locusts and yet saying one more powerful than I was coming, right? We get it. We get that somehow those words have weight. Why? <laughs> what makes John powerful? So powerful that when he says that someone more powerful than me is coming, that means anything to anybody. What makes him so powerful? The thing that made John the Baptist powerful was the ministry that he had been given by God, the authority that he had been given by God. And what, what is that ministry? What authority did he have? He is the one preparing the way for the Messiah. His ministry was to be in the place that he was, calling out to people to repent and then be baptized. The baptism that John performed was a part of his ministry. That baptism, him being the baptizer, that gave John power. So when he says to us that one more powerful than I am coming, it is significant then that he says, I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. In other words, I baptize you in a way that is symbolic, but you will have to do it again. You're not actually clean when you come out of the water that I am baptizing you with. 
but the baptism of the one who is coming, that is powerful. That will change you. That is why he could say, one more powerful than I am coming is coming, and it meant something. The baptism that would be brought by Jesus has a whole lot more weight than what John was doing. So why is this important? Why should we care about this baptism? So some scholars um, will say that this baptism of the Holy Spirit that John is referring to um, is pointing us to Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit fell and we got the Holy Spirit, right? Other scholars say that what he's referring to is Jesus using the Holy Spirit throughout his ministry to do the things that Jesus did. I say both. It is a powerful thing, and what this passage is telling us is that the Holy Spirit, whether it is the Holy Spirit that comes at Pentecost or it is the Spirit that Jesus drew upon to do the things that he did, the Holy Spirit is vital. Now, I bet at least one person is thinking, duh, (laughs) of course the Holy Spirit is vital. I know that. (laughs) That was a long way to say the Holy Spirit is vital. (laughs) So let me go ahead and just let you know that before the course of this sermon is over, you'll probably have that thought again. And this is what I want you to do should that thought arise. Ask yourself, (laughs) do you really know it? We, we think we get it, but do you really get it? If you have been a Christian for any amount of time, I am positive that this is not the first time you have heard someone say the Holy Spirit is vital. I hope this is not the first time you have heard someone say the Holy Spirit is vital, right? This is something that, yes, it's the Holy Spirit, a part of the Trinity. Obviously, we need the Holy Spirit. But do you really believe it? Here's how you can tell. If fear or hopelessness are things that you wrestle with on a regular basis, you don't know it like you think you know it. If you regularly feel alone or abandoned by God, you don't know it like you think you know it. And the Lord knows I'm speaking to myself. We don't know it like we think we know it. So if we accept that the Holy Spirit is vital then we need to figure out who he is and what he does. And yes, I said he. I could have said she, I suppose. I mean, Scripture tells us that God is spirit. That's why John can say that those who worship God must worship in spirit and in truth. So we know God isn't a man or a woman. I'm more comfortable with he because, you know, probably for the same reason that y'all are more comfortable with he. You know what I couldn't have said? It. (laughs) The Holy Spirit is not an it. The Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity. So whatever pronoun you use to talk about Jesus or the Father, that should be the same pronoun you use to talk about the Holy Spirit. All right. So what I want you to go ahead and do is um, let's talk about who is he. So turn your Bibles to John chapter 16. Um, And I'm going to read for you the seventh verse. It says, but very truly I tell you, it is for your good 
that I am going away. Unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. So this is Jesus now speaking to his disciples. And he is telling them that it is good that I go. I know y'all are sad, but it's good that I go because I have to go in order for the Holy Spirit to come. So there are two important things that you need to catch in this very short verse. The first has to do with language. The Greek word that is translated here as Advocate is the word parakletos, Um, and this is a word that was unique to John. It's used five times in this gospel, and he also uses it in 1 John. And this has been translated a whole lot of ways, and I'm sure for those of you who are following in your Bibles, unless you have the exact version of the NIV that I have, your Bible probably said something different. Um, How many people have counselor in their Bible, right? So the NIV used to translate it as counselor. In newer editions, they translate it as advocate. Anybody have a King James Version or learned this in the King James Version? What does yours say? Is it? Comforter, right? So comforter. Um, Does anyone have a translation that says paraclete? Anyone? Yeah. Yeah. So this word is tricky. (laughs) There are a whole lot of different ways that we see it. Comforter, counselor, advocate. It's so tricky that some translations, like I said, they don't bother to translate it. So that's where you get paraclete from. It's just kind of like we don't, we're just going to let this one stand for you guys. Um, Because there's debate about what exactly they're trying to get at with this word. So the root word Um, for parakletos is a verb, and it meant one who comes alongside. Um, You see it in in secular Greek literature to refer to somebody who came alongside um, in a court setting, kind of like, um, not an attorney, but a person who would come alongside you and give you legal counsel. So that's where we get counselor from. And comforter that King James Version uses, it is also accurate, but in an old English sort of way. It's not comforter the way we think of comforter, like someone who is sort of nurturing. It's strengthens, someone who strengthens. So for these reasons, NIV has sort of sent, rested on advocate, because advocate kind of encapsulates all of those things. This is a person who comes alongside of you, who gives you wise counsel, strengthens you, sort of girds you. That's a really old sounding word, but you, you get it? That's, that's where this is coming from. So, the advocate. The second thing that I need you to see here that's important um, to note is that Jesus says in order for the Holy Spirit to come, in order for the advocate, the one who will walk alongside, who will give counsel, who will strengthen, in order for the advocate to come, I must go. So what does this point to? The Holy Spirit functions for us in the same way that Jesus functioned for his disciples when he was walking with them on earth. Um, Gary Burge, a New Testament scholar, puts it this way. He says, in some fashion then, it is mutually exclusive to have both the Spirit and Jesus on earth. Did you catch that? Turn your Bibles to John 14. I want to read for you verses 25 and 27, because this is, this is good. 
All this I have spoken while still with you, but the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. You got to catch it. One part of the ministry of the Holy Spirit is to be for us what Jesus was for his disciples. Jesus tells his disciples about this coming spirit to comfort them. They are distraught because he's been talking about the fact that he's about to die and not die a very nice death. They don't want him to go. They are feeling not only like we are going to mourn the loss of this person who is our friend, but we are going to be left alone. And Jesus is saying, no, no. I'm not going to leave you alone. I'm going to send the advocate to walk with you. And see, when we hear Jesus say, peace, I give to you my peace, it sounds kind of trite, right? Like, oh, how cute. Peace, that's nice. But think about what is happening. Think about the context of Jesus delivering these words. These folk have walked with this man for three years. Now, if you will recall, the first part of their ministry, they spent most of the time fleeing, You remember that? Every time you read in the Bible and then Jesus fled, (laughs) Jesus withdrew, Jesus moved quickly, the disciples are fleeing too. So you spend the first part of this walk kind of on the run, and then the the last part, he's constantly talking about the fact that he's going to die. You know people want to kill him, you know he's not popular, and you know you are not popular. (laughs) And we know that the persecution that the church was going to face, the persecution that these disciples was going to face was great, right? Because we see all throughout Acts the things that happened to them. When Jesus says, my peace I give to you, he's saying in the face of loss, in the face of persecution, in the face of death, peace. Peace. Do not be afraid. How can they have peace? How can they not be afraid? Because the advocate is going to be with them. Just as they are not afraid when they are with Jesus, they don't have to be afraid when they can't see his face anymore. Because one who will serve the role that Jesus served for them will be with them. The advocate is coming. The advocate will give you counsel. The advocate will teach you. I know y'all ain't got it yet. The advocate will teach you. I know your memories are short. The advocate will remind you. Don't worry. Jesus' promise of peace is significant and powerful and has weight only because the advocate is coming. And if you are still not convinced, go ahead and turn your Bibles to 1 John chapter 2. And beginning with verse 1, it reads, My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for our sins, but also for the sins of the whole world. We have an advocate with the Father. Your ears should have perked up when you heard that word. If it wasn't clear before... John is using the same word here to talk about Jesus that he used to talk about the Holy Spirit, the advocate. And not just to talk about Jesus, but to talk about what Jesus does for us. If anybody sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. Now, this 
excited me when I got it. And so I want to make it plain for you so that you too can be excited. (laughs) You are untouchable (laughs) because of the Holy Spirit. Do you get that? You are uncondemnable because of the Holy Spirit. Not just because Jesus went to a cross and died. Not just because Jesus shed his blood for you. But because you have the best legal defense team (laughs) imaginable. (laughs) You cannot be touched. When Satan rises against you, when he tries to sow seeds of fear, when he tries to convince you that you are not worthy, that you are unlovable, that you are all the things that we like to believe in our heads about ourselves, the Holy Spirit is there to say, oh, oh, no, 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 no. You can't touch this one. Just as Jesus stands before the Father And we can be righteous because he is righteous and his righteousness is transferred to us. He advocates for us before the Father. The Holy Spirit advocates for us in this world. The Holy Spirit walks alongside us, stands before us, guides us, leads us, and makes it possible for us to look at Satan and say, get thee behind me. That's what the Holy Spirit does for us. That's why we can have peace in the face of all the mess that we face every day in a world that is absolutely not peaceful. We have peace. You are untouchable. (laughs) The author of Titus uh, says it this way in Titus chapter 3. At one time, we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived, enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. But when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs, having the hope of eternal life. You are untouchable. All of the mess that we get bound up in, strife, striving, gossip, persecution, suffering, all of these things, it cannot break your soul. It cannot break your spirit. It cannot condemn you. You are uncondemnable because the Holy Spirit comes alongside you. See, when we call on God to be present, when we sing songs and we say, Lord, please come to this place, Lord, the Holy Spirit is who we are talking to. The Holy Spirit is who shows up. We know that we are not alone, that God walks with us. When Jesus said, I will never leave you nor forsake you, the promise was because the Holy Spirit will be there. But do you believe it? Do you really, really believe it? At the start of this sermon, I talked about the hope that we have in the new year. And we asked the question, why does it dissipate? Well, let me ask you this. Who informed your resolutions for this new year? Who who did you consult? Did the goals, the plans, the promises, the commitments that you pledged to keep, did they come after reflection, after conversation with the Holy Ghost? Oh, that was so, Holy Spirit, sorry, went back to my my roots. (laughs) Who did you consult? 
How much time did you spend asking God to direct your path, to order your steps, to give you vision for this new year? See, I am positive that I have said absolutely nothing today that you had not already heard and that you did not already think you knew. But do you really know it? Let me ask you this. If Jesus Christ lived in your house, like in the flesh, if Jesus Christ was your roommate, would you talk to him about your plans? I'm I'm, going to say yes, I would. Would you ask him about direction for your life? On a regular basis, right? And if Jesus Christ in the flesh, who your roommate, said to you, you know what, in 2012 I have some things in store for you, and the first step that you need to take is to do X. I don't care how crazy X sounded, would you do it? See, if we believed this thing for sure, we would not let another January 1st roll around without having spent significant time talking to, consulting, trying to hear from the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the person of the Trinity that walks with us, that dwells inside us. He is the person of the Trinity that speaks to us, that guides us, that reminds us of the things that we have learned, that reminds us of the things that God has spoken to us in our quiet times. He is the one who continues to teach us as we move through this Christian life, and yet we act like he does not exist most times. If you believe If we took it seriously, our lives would look a whole lot different. So what does this mean for us practically? How might your life look differently? What ought you do as a response to this sermon? Um, Worship team, you can start making your way back on up. If you know in your heart of hearts that the plans the resolutions, the goals, the dreams, the visions, the things that you have decided to do for this year, if you know beyond a shadow of a doubt that those things grow out of time in prayer, time in the word, then you can be encouraged. The enemy will absolutely come and try to steal your joy. The enemy will absolutely come and tell you that you are uh, you're not worthy of that kind of favor. You're not worthy of those kind of blessings. The devil will absolutely come and whisper in your ear, mm, you think God really said that to you? That you don't think that was just wishful thinking, like you, you want that, so that's why you thought you heard it? That's what I guarantee it will happen. And so what this sermon hopefully will remind you to do is say, absolutely not. That's when you call on the Holy Spirit. And you know that the Holy Spirit will be there to remind you of those things. And you can ask him, Holy Spirit, please speak to me. Remind me of the thing that the Lord said to me. Confirm it in my heart again. When he tries to rise up and say, you're not worthy, you say, oh, no, 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 I'm uncondemnable. That's when you can cling to the Holy Spirit and know that he is your advocate on this earth. You are uncondemnable. That is hopefully what this sermon will remind you to do, those of you who have spent that time in prayer. Now, (laughs) for those of you who started this year with great resolutions about eating better and exercising and whatever you thought was a good idea, but you didn't spend not a lick of time talking to the Lord about what maybe he thought was a good idea for your life. Or for those of you who started this year and you were so broke down at the close of last year that you didn't even have the strength to talk to the Lord about what might be his plan for you this year, then I want to encourage you not to leave this space 
without starting a conversation with the Lord, without starting a conversation with the Holy Spirit that I hope will continue when you walk from this place. The encouragement for you is that God absolutely has a plan for your life. And he left us with one who will walk alongside us and ensure that that plan will be brought to fruition. The encouragement for you is that you have not been left alone. There is absolutely nothing that God has called you to. There is no vision that he has given you that is not possible. I don't care what your circumstances look like. You have an advocate who walks alongside of you. The same power that Jesus drew on to heal the sick, to raise the dead. <laughs> that power is inside of you. <laughs> the Holy Spirit not only walks alongside us, the Holy Spirit dwells within us. That ought to make you walk out of here feeling like you are like six feet tall. Like, what? <laughs> Jesus made a dead man get up from the grave. That power is in me? <laughs> Oh, what, what you want me to do in 2012, Lord? Be encouraged because you have an advocate. You have one who will give you wise counsel. You have one who will strengthen you. And he walks alongside of you and he dwells inside of you. My prayer for us, New Community, is that we will move through all 360 days of this year with the same kind of hope, excitement, passion, and expectation that many of us started this year with. My prayer is that in those times when we feel low, when we feel abandoned, we will be reminded that the Holy Spirit walks alongside us, that he dwells inside us. Please pray with me. Hallelujah. 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 God, you are so awesome. You are so amazing. God, unfathomable God, huge God, God who is beyond anything that we could ever imagine. God, you have left us with one who dwells inside of us, who walks alongside us. I thank you, God, that you speak to us, that you desire to communicate, to reveal yourself to us. I thank you, Lord, that we are so valuable in your sight, so valuable in your sight, that you have seen fit to give us absolutely everything that we could ever need to be the people you know we can be. I thank you, God, that we are not alone, that we are never alone. Should we end up in a place that seems completely dark? Should we end up in a place where there is no one that looks familiar, where we feel like no one knows us, no one understands us? We are never alone. I thank you that it is impossible for us to be alone. I thank you that you have given us your very spirit to walk alongside of us, to speak to us. God, we can touch you, we can feel you, we can see you moving in our lives. I thank you for that. Because you didn't have to do that. You did not have to do that. You could have saved our souls and let us figure it out on this earth alone, but you did not do it. 
God, my prayer is that we would find comfort, that we would in fact walk in the peace that you have in store for us, the peace that you desire us to live in. I pray, God, that you would remind us through your Holy Spirit on a regular basis that you are with us, that you are speaking, teaching, moving, leading, guiding, and directing us. I pray, God, that we will have peace, that we will find confidence in the fact that an awesome God finds us so important and valuable that he would take the time to give us his spirit that he would take the time to call us to great things and then give us the power to do those things God I ask that each and every person in this room would walk away encouraged I pray that each and every person in this room on this day would walk away encouraged speak to us speak to us Holy Spirit speak to us Holy Spirit Teach us how to hear your voice, Holy Spirit. Teach us how to sense your leading, Holy Spirit. Speak to us. Show us how to be people who rely on you, who are desperate for you. Show us how to be people who will not move unless we have heard from you. Show us how to be people who seek after you. Speak to us, Holy Spirit. Speak to us, Holy Spirit. God, you are awesome. And we thank you for the God that you are. We thank you. I thank you for each and every blessing that you will give to the people in this room that you have already given. I thank you for the calling on each and every person's life. I thank you for the seeds that you have sown in their lives and the seeds that they will sow. I thank you that this world is going to look different because of the ministries that you have given each and every person here. I thank you that those things that you have called us to will come to fruition. I thank you that we can stand on the promise that the visions that you have given us, the dreams that you have given us are not things that will just fall down dead in the earth. You have breathed life into those things. I thank you that this community will look different. I thank you that this nation will look different. I thank you that this world will look different because of the things that you have spoken into the lives of each and every person that is here. Thank you, Jesus. God, we honor you. We honor you. And we ask that you would continue, continue to teach, continue to lead, continue to guide, continue to encourage. Lord, I commit each and every person in this room to your hands. I thank you that you have promised that absolutely nothing could pluck us away from your hand. So as we go from this place, Lord Jesus, let your Holy Spirit strengthen us. Let your Holy Spirit guide us. Let your Holy Spirit teach us. Make our hearts open to receive it. In Jesus' name. and you have to do it or else I'm going to look real stupid up here by myself. So, you know that little dance I showed you in the beginning? <laughs> I want everybody, go ahead, just start, start. I want this to be y'all's Holy Ghost 2012 dance, right? 
So when you start to feel like, oh man, I'm alone. Uh-uh, devil. This is what you do. Uh-uh, devil. Uh-uh, devil. Uh-uh, devil. This is what we're going to do. And see, I'm going to do it. Y'all will do it. And we'll understand. Maybe you don't do it in public, but in your head, right? On the inside, you can, uh-uh, devil. Uh-uh, devil, right? That's the Holy Ghost dance. And when you do it, I want you to imagine the Holy Ghost sitting right beside you going, uh-uh, devil, uh-uh, devil, uh-uh, devil, right? I hope that you will go from this place encouraged, doing your little dance, and take that with you every day this year. We have the Holy Spirit beside us. We have the Holy Spirit inside of us. The power that worked in Jesus Christ is at work in us. Uh-uh, devil, uh-uh, devil, uh-uh, devil, uh-uh, devil, gone. <laughs>